Hey everyone, and welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington Church of Christ. I hope this will inspire you and help you grow in your faith as we see God move through His Word. Please stay tuned after to hear more about how you can help partner with us. Enjoy the message. I love our church too. I like to hold up our church as an example for other congregations. Just the other day, I shocked some of my minister friends uh, uh, that were, uh, we were talking about our church, and we were talking about leadership in our church, talking about the elders in our church. And I said, you know, our elders had a business meeting the other night, and uh, the business meeting started at 7, and they started praying about 7.05 and prayed until 7.45 to start the business meeting of the church. And, and my minister friends were like, your elders pray together? I mean, they were just shocked. I love holding up our church as an example. Uh, just uh, a couple of weeks ago, Cheryl posted on Facebook, Cheryl Brockmeyer, Children's Minister. She said, here's another reason why I love our church. I love how we train each other to do the work of ministry. She was in the children's ministry. They were in the back. And one of the students, uh, Zach Davis, went and grabbed another student, Skylar, and they started uh, working. Um, and Zach, one of our teenagers, was training Skylar, another one of our teenagers, how to run the soundboard in children's ministry. I've got a picture of Zach and Skylar, and uh, this is one of the reasons Cheryl said, hey, this is one of the reasons I love our church. I love our church. I love the, the friendliness here. I love that we uh, grow each other. I love we hold each other accountable. I love that uh, we have the best message. You know, the church is the hope of the world. The hope of the world is not going to be found in the government. It's not going to be found in the Democrat Party or the Republican Party. I saw somebody go, is he going to say that one? No, it's, the hope is not going to be found there. The hope is not going to be found in uh, your money. It's not going to be found in your savings. It's not going to be found in, your, in the academia of the world. It is going to be found in the message that only we have, which is the message that Jesus Christ died and rose again. That's how people are going to change. That message was given to the church. That's why, one of the reasons I love our church. Tony Brockmeyer, uh, our youth minister, took a picture of himself in front of the selfie station we have out here where he says, I love our church. You'll get to do that later today, and you'll get to tell others why you love our church as well. There's a quote from an author uh, from quite a few years ago where he talks about the difference he had seen in people who have gone to church. He said, in these meetings, the weak have been made strong, the bowed down have been raised up, the tempted have found delivering grace, the doubting mind has had all its doubts and fears removed, and the whole meeting found that this was none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. Here the hard heart has been tendered, the cold heart warmed with holy fire. Here the dark mind, beclouded with trial and temptation, has every cloud rolled away. And the Son of Righteousness has risen with resplendent glory, with healing in His wings. And in these meetings, many seekers of religion have found in the spiritual birthplace of their souls into the heavenly family, and their dead souls made alive to God. That is what happens in the gathering Remember, it's not the building that we uh, come together for, and it's not the, uh, the name on the building, and it's not the facilities. It's, not, it's nothing that you think of when you think, hey, let's go to church. It's the people. It's the gathering. It's God's called out ones who have been called on mission. That's the church, and I love our church. And uh, like somebody mentioned, we're not perfect, and God gives us something to do to help counteract when we're not perfect. It comes from the letter to the church at Philippi. And it's in Philippians chapter 4. And that's the letter we're going to read today that things that we can do, things that you can do, things that we all do together to counteract where we are not perfect. 
And so that we can answer these calls that have been put on our life to help the church continue to succeed in the name of God. And there are certain things that we can do as found in Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. There is a calling on our life to help us where we find the church is not perfect. We're going to talk a little bit about where we are not perfect, and it's the same imperfections that Paul and the church at Philippi was struggling with 2,000 years ago. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, you can find out what you can do to continue to help love this church and continue to move this church in the right direction, even if you encounter somebody and some things and some people who are not perfect. Here's what Paul says to the church of Philippi in chapter 4 on what you can do about this. I'm going to read all nine verses, and we'll pray that Holy Spirit helps us, and then we'll talk about these callings Paul mentions in these nine verses. Here's what it says. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, he's talking to the whole church, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Eodia and, Sint- and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel for the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and my other co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Let's see if I can remember. Hang with me. Oh, I've got to look. Sorry. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Would you mind if we pray together over that passage of Scripture? Lord, would you send your Holy Spirit, refill us again, remind us of Jesus Christ, and help us understand this calling, these callings you have put on our life from this passage of Scripture? Would you allow the Holy Spirit, Lord, to change us from the inside out, to be what you've called us to be, to live up to what we've already obtained in Christ and to set our goal and our vision upon Christ himself. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. From that passage of scripture, there are three callings God has laid on us for us to do and to take action on when we encounter something that's not right in our church. When it's not right in the body of believers. Three callings. He calls us to unity, he calls us to trust, and he calls us to integrity. The first part, he calls us to unity, is the first couple of verses there. Paul, he says, to you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. He loved holding up his church that he had planned at the church of Philippi as an example to others. 
By the way, I had, I had some junior high students the other day, and I told one of them, I said, hey, if your boyfriend ever writes you a letter and says, he loves and longs for you, you are his joy and your crown, and they blushed really red. I turned to the boys and said, if you ever have a girl write you a love letter that says, I love and long for you, that, that, that girl's got the hots for you. Well, Paul writes this to the church. He says, I, I love being around you. I, I'm missing you. And Paul's writing this from prison. He said, I long to be with you. He said, you're my crown. When he gets to heaven and God says, okay, Paul, we're going to reward you for the work you've done on earth. What do you have to show for yourself? And Paul starts listing off his life and, and where he has made a difference and how he has worked for the Lord, storing up treasure in heaven. He said he's going to hold up the church of Philippi as one of his crowning achievements, my joy and my crown. And then he reminds them, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Eodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. This church that he was holding up as an example, he immediately says, hey, you're not perfect. There's some fighting going on. There's some arguing. And Eodia and Syntyche, they're fighting so much that he had to write in a letter, hey, we, we got to fix this. I'm pleading with them to be of the same mind in the Lord. And then he says, yes, you, my true companion, help them. Help them be of the same mind. Since they've contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, and they're with Clement, the other co-workers, their names are written in the book of life. You've got to help them come back to that unifying purpose. God calls us to have unity. Now, we can unite over lots of things, and we can unite over terrible things, or we can unite over good things, but the unification that is called for in the Scripture is united over the truth of Scripture, united over the Spirit of God pointing us to Jesus Christ, uniting over the purpose of God who he's called us to not only equip believers to mature in faith, but also equipping believers to go tell other people about Jesus. We have to unite over those three areas and put those above every other thing that we have in our mind. Every other thing in our life, we have to be united in the spirit, in the scripture, and the purpose. We have to be united in his spirit, in the truth, and the mission. We have to be, you getting, the, you getting the jest here? We have to be united under Christ, under the right things. And what this kind of means is, if we have arguments like Eodia and Syntyche, we're going to stop the momentum God has in store for our church. Scripture says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, we can actually quench the Holy Spirit. We can squeeze him out of our life. Not that there's anything wrong with the Holy Spirit, not that there's anything wrong with the power source, but we, by our attitudes and actions, can actually stop, because he's a gentleman, the Holy Spirit, from doing the work he wants to accomplish through us. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it says we can even grieve the Holy Spirit. And so Paul calls the church to be united in spirit of the Lord behind Jesus Christ in the truth that we find in Scripture and the purpose. Two guys were riding a tandem bike up a steep mountain, and they get to the top, and the first one in front of the tandem bike, tandem bike, by the way, is a bicycle with two seats, got two pedals. They get to the top of the mountain, and the first one looks back and goes, whoa, that mountain was really hard. I was pedaling all I had. And the other one said, yeah, and if I hadn't had the brake on, we might have slipped backwards. Thanks for laughing at that, really. 
But isn't that an indication of what happens when we have disunity fighting over things that are not as important as being united in the spirit, being united in truth, and being united on purpose? Here's how we act. Because being united doesn't mean we have uniformity. We don't have to look the same. We don't have to like the same things. We don't have, the same, we don't have to have the same preferences. Being united means you, doesn't mean you can't speak your mind or speak out for what you like. You can be united and have all those things. But if you don't get your way after you've spoken your mind, it's time to refocus back on what is most important. Otherwise, you're putting the brake on. If I speak my mind and I don't get my way, I have to go on to what is most important. Being united in spirit of Christ with the truth of Scripture for our purpose. Second thing Paul calls us to is to trust the Lord. Do not be anxious about anything, he says. That's really hard to do. Has anybody ever worried before? Okay, we have liars and worriers in here. Yeah, we've all had worries before. And the command from Jesus is do not worry. And the call on the church is do not be anxious about anything. But it's not like we don't have reason to worry or reason to have fear. Uh, just yesterday, my, my wife and I had to make this decision about whether we would allow our 16-year-old to ride in a car with a 17-year-old. Okay, that's not a weird thing. But it's a release of control from the parents. And it's not just riding around town. To ride on the interstate down to Kings Island. And we reluctantly said, oh, okay, he's been driving for two years. He's safe. We, uh, we're going to let you go. And then my wife bumped into his mom at the store. And this did not help. <laughs> she said something to the effect of, hey, you know, it was really a struggle for us to let our son ride down to King's Island with your son. Not that we don't trust your son. It's just, he, you know, we know he's inexperienced. And we know he's been driving. And she said, well, this is actually the first time he's ever driven to King's Island by himself. <laughs> and it's the first time he's ever had a friend in the car with him. Do not be anxious about anything. That was really hard for me to obey. So what does Paul say? He says, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Did you catch that? There's three key areas to help remove worry, to help remind us of the trust we have. They're all difficult. Prayer Okay, we go to the Lord, got that. We present our request. God, that's my prayer. Keep my son safe. Petition, that means we repeat it. You know, we pray, hey, Lord, keep my son safe. A couple minutes later, start doing something else. I'm recalled that I'm worried about my son. Lord, would you keep my son safe? Worried about the Lord. A couple of minutes later, petition. I keep going back to him. And this is the hard part. With thanksgiving, we are called as a church, to trust the Lord with thanksgiving. You know, the reason why we trust God is because he sent Jesus Christ to die for us. We know he loves us. 
Because of Jesus' resurrection, we know God has the power to change us. And then he, take, he makes this huge promise in Romans chapter 8. It's a promise kind of he gave to the Israelites when they were his people. He says, now if you're in Christ, you're my people. I've got a promise for you. And here's the promise. I'm going to work all things out for the good of those who believe in me. And we're like, oh, yeah, he's going to work all things good. But he, he finishes it. You've been called according to my purpose. And my purpose is you'll be transformed into Christ. So everything that goes on in our life, we can be thankful for because God is going to use that to transform us into Christ. His good purpose isn't our health or wealth or well-being. His good purpose is that we would be transformed into Christ and then be his ambassadors to the world in spite of our circumstances. And that's why he says, with thanksgiving. I had a friend of mine tell me that God sometimes gives us things so that we'll grow, which is why we need to be thankful for them. And so if something bad happens to us, if our circumstances are bad, if we are in thanksgiving because we trust God is going to use those things to help us grow into Christ, he allows us to work through those situations with peace because we have thanksgiving, we're trusting that he's going to grow us into Christ. And he either allows us to work through those situations or he takes those situations away. But if we are not thankful for what he's doing and allowing in our life, and we don't experience the change which is his purpose, he lets us stay there until we grow up. Now, it's not 100% accurate all the time, but I have found that to be the case with God. So Paul says we don't need to worry about the bad situations or the things that are going wrong, but we do need to pray about it. We need to pray about it often with petition, and we need to be thankful because God is growing us. And he, the promise is if we're praying a lot with thanksgiving, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. You know, what I, one of the things I love about our church it's how we are being unified behind the Spirit and the Scripture and the purpose. Unified behind Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Unified by the truth we find in Scripture. Unified in purpose. And how He's changing us to trust Him. But He doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't let us trust Him by ourselves. He promises the Holy Spirit will always be with us, giving us energy and courage and strength to obey him and he says the church is to come alongside you as you're struggling and they'll help you work through it and he's going to underlie all of that with peace remember the church is the people in our prayer meeting today somebody said they sent out an emergency prayer request for a family situation last night to their small group Small group began to pray for them, and then two of their small group members showed up at their house carrying blizzards to pray with them and comfort them so they didn't have to go through the struggle alone. We're called to trust, but we don't have to trust blindly. We don't have to trust alone. We just have to be part of the community. I love hearing stories about how our church shows up and makes these changes. I love hearing these stories, how our church shows up and provides the equipping of saints so that they can mature and grow up and so that they can spread the gospel. I love how our church shows up and comforts each other 
when we're going through bad times. This happens. We, we just had a group of people meet two weeks ago. I said, hey, there's a call to form a visitation team because we have so many people that not everybody's getting visited. And we had a group immediately respond. I have a picture of that group that are standing around, immediately respond, and they said, we're going to help be on the visitation team. They've already started. We had a call for an awareness safety team. That has already started. It's in the works. It's not up and running yet. Um, we had, uh, I do a Bible study every week at uh, Cape May Retirement Facility on Tuesdays, and I had to miss a week. And Holly Spangler, uh, who is a staff member of Cape May and one of the members of our church, they told me that when I missed, that she got up and she read the scripture and prayed for our Bible study group. You know how she did that? It's because she's in a small group that is training her to equip the saints to be able to open up scripture and to be able to pray and care for other people. And those Cape May residents told me about Holly and then they cheered for her because she was sitting right there. She said she was able to comfort us and pray for us. And it was beautiful. That's why I love our church. I'm not the one training Holly. Her small group leaders are. Her small group together. And we don't go through life alone when we're involved with the church because we have this calling for unity and a call for trust. Finally, there's a call for integrity. Call for integrity. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Betty Gregory uh, just passed away this week. She was a couple of months shy of 99. I kid you not, this happened in a Bible study we did several months ago. Uh, well, probably several years ago. Uh, we were doing a Bible study on enemies and how we have to forgive and love our enemies because Christ has forgiven and loved, loved us. And we had a time of confession in our Bible study. And we went around the room and we came to Betty. Was there anything you need to confess? Any enemy that you have that you need to love? Any enemy you have you need to forgive? And she said... Nope. I said, Betty, come on. <laughs> How is that possible? Everybody has, you know, offended somebody in their life, or everybody has something they're holding against somebody. How is it you have no enemies? She said, I outlived them all. <laughs> it's really happened. <laughs> Betty had this thing she would say as she would creakily get up from the chair and grab her walker she would say this to me all the time she said you know god has got this under control i have to trust him you can trust him too you know part of the reason why she had that unity in the spirit and that trust in god is that she was thinking about the beautiful things of god all the time she thought about the churches she had been involved with and the church that she was currently involved with. And she was, talking, she was thinking about how her husband had led Bible studies. And she was thinking about all these times that Christ had shown up and given her peace. And grown her faith. And actually matured her. And she just trusted. But she referred to those times in her mind. That's what her brain thought about. The things that were lovely and noble and true. And she wasn't distracted like we get with Netflix and Facebook and the internet 
You know, we have a call to integrity. We have a call to make our imaginations right and our thought process right. Then we have a call to make our beliefs right in Christ. We have a call to make the words we say right in integrity. We have a call to have this action where we respond in gentleness, not just to each other, but to those outside of the church. We have a call not to let our temper temper rule our mouth. We have a call to this integrity that reveals Christ is our Lord and there's a change that has happened inside of us. And Paul says, if you want to grow in that, then whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think about those things. Here's the question for us, church. Where does your mind spend its time? Does it spend its time on where you're not getting your way? That's how babies think. We want to grow our babies up out of that. Does it spend its time on politics? Let me think of an appropriate insult for that's what those people think. Remember, the government is not going to be the difference maker in the world. You are as part of the church. Do you spend your time watching and looking at things that are not healthy, that are not pure, that are not admirable? Do you spend your time Facebook scrolling for the latest gossip? Gossip is like the choicest morsel that goes down to the soul. But we're not supposed to be there. What do you spend your time thinking on? I say meditate on the cross of Christ. That vertical bar that goes up reminds us that Jesus Christ came from heaven to make our relationship with God pure. And that horizontal bar across there where he stretched out his arms and he was nailed to the cross reminds us that he is trying to wrap all of us up together and we are a family together. We have to look out for one another. And when we think about the cross and we meditate on what Jesus did on the cross and how he died for us, for me, for my broken, stinking thinking, he died for that. He died because of that. When I meditate on that, it brings me back into thinking about what is true and noble, and lovely, and admirable. Paul says, think about those things. And he ends this, he ends this phrase with this. He says, whatever you have learned from me, or received from me, or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice. Well, Paul was always talking about being unified behind the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, how he died and rose again. He was always talking about get rid of all the things that distract us and have one tracked mind pressing on toward the goal the prize to which god has called us heavenward in christ jesus he was always talking about that he was always showing that he was always revealing that and then his life went and he sacrificed himself to act like jesus he was in shipwrecks he was beaten he was uh flogged he was stoned he he knew what it was to be hungry and poor and cold and he did it all so he could present the gospel Whatever you've seen Paul do, he's imitating Christ. Whatever you've seen Christ do, imitate that. Put it into practice. And I love how it ends. And the God of peace will be with you. Not only does Jesus promise us peace to guard our hearts and minds, but he actually promises God will, the God of peace will be with you. In the Old Testament, 
to come draw near to God, you had to get the right animal, you had to bring it before the priest, you had to slit the animal's throat. By the way, that's gurgly and messy. You had to lay it on the altar, and you had to be reminded the sacrifice and that bloody mess is because of something you did. And then you were able to draw close to God because he covered up your sin for a little while. Kind of like you go out to dinner, you forget your wallet, and one of your friends says, no, I got it, I, I covered you. And that's how the Old Testament, when you got to draw close to God. But in the New Testament, in the new relationship with Jesus Christ, he becomes that bloody, gurgling sacrifice because of what you did. And he doesn't just cover your sin, he takes them away and he says, I'm going to draw near to you. The God of peace will be with you. And Paul's you here is a plural you in the Greek. The God of peace will be with y'all. That's the beauty of the church. We not only have the peace of God with us, but we actually have the God of peace who goes before us and behind us and beside us and beneath us and above us and within us. If we answer the call, whatever you've learned, received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. We have a calling given to us to counteract where we're not perfect yet and continue to advance the church to be the hope of the world. One of the reminders that Jesus gives us in that regard is called communion. And the reminder in communion is a reminder to unity. The reason why we take communion together as a church family is because we are united behind a good cause and a good person and a good, great God in Jesus Christ, and communion reminds us of that unity. As we take communion, we're reminded of his sacrifice. He died on the cross and then rose again three days later to save us from our sins and unite us back to him, and we're reminded to trust him. And as we examine our hearts, as we consume communion, and we realize he died and was a gurgly sacrifice for us because of our sin, it's a reminder that we're supposed to have a changed heart and life where we're acting and thinking and believing and speaking in integrity for the kingdom. Communion is a beautiful reminder of the calling on our lives. After I finish praying for the communion, the guys are going to pass the plate. And usually, in our church service, we take and eat the bread, and we take the cup and drink it, put it back in the plate, and pass it, and we sit and meditate on what Christ has done for us. But this past month, what we've been doing is we've taken the bread and held it, we've taken the cup and held it, and we meditate on what Christ has done, and then together, following the instruction, we all consume the bread together, and we all consume the cup at the same time. I'd like to do that one more time this month. Let me pray for communion. Lord, thank you for the gift of your church, the gathering of called out believers on purpose for you. Lord, would you help us to live up for that call, to that calling, what we've already obtained in Christ, and be reminded of that calling even now in communion. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We are the church. We are God, God's people who've been called out of our old way of life into a new way of life that not only trusts him, but is united behind Jesus Christ on mission 
for our Lord and Savior. This communion reminds us of why we can trust him, because he died on the cross to forgive us for our sins, take away the penalty of our mistakes, and unite us back to Christ. And his resurrection reminds us he's coming back to get us. Would you consume the bread of that reminder? His lifeblood was shed for our sins, and he calls us to do this in remembrance of him. Would you consume the cup? Our God and Father, thank you for sending Christ and giving us this powerful reminder every week of all that you have done for us and accomplished on the cross for us And now, Lord, we go and we seek to accomplish for you, by your power, the calling on our hearts. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, I ask that you would pray and consider partnering with us financially so that we could continue to minister here in our community and beyond. Visit us online at wcconline.org backslash donate to find out how you can be a part of what God is doing here. Thank you again for joining us, and I hope to see you back here next time.